I know it's going to come as a shocker, but not everything on the internet is true. I know that's a surprise for so many of us. There are things out there that are myths, and one such myth I heard years ago centered around a man named Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was a man who lived in the 1800s in England. He was a philosopher. Uh, he directed to the University College of London to, as the myth went, to keep his remains and, uh, and, and, some, and have his remains come into every single meeting of the advisors. And in the minutes of the meeting, there would be the following phrase, Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. And it was a great story, but Nick Booth, the curator of the UCL, the University College of London, says that's not true at all. He says, it's a brilliant story. It has everything, a dead body, academic eccentricity, reanimation of a corpse, ancient tradition. What's not to love? Except, unfortunately, it's a myth. One of many legends that have built up around the old radical, which was Jeremy Bentham's nickname, that he would have enjoyed, which is so, it's not true that his remains, were, his remains were wheeled in. But what is true is also strange. <laughs> Jeremy Bentham directed that to his friend, his friend Dr. Smith, create an auto icon of him. An auto icon. What he wanted to do was he wanted to have his remains preserved and put in a box on the property of the UCL. And this is a direct quote from Jeremy Bentham's will. The skeleton, these are his remains, the skeleton he will cause to put together in such a manner that the whole figure may be seated in a chair, usually occupied by me when living, in an attitude in which I am sitting when engaged in thought in the course of time and in writing. He will cause the skeleton to be clad in one of the suits of black I occasionally wear. So for those of you scoring at home, it's not true that his remains were, were dragged into meetings every, every month and, and there would be something in the minutes that said present but not, but not voting. But it is true that Jeremy Bentham directed that his skeleton be how be, be covered with some of his clothes and stuffed with hay and that his hair be preserved and that his head, even his face, be preserved to have some kind of a, of a resemblance of him in his, in his, after he dies and to be put in a box so that people could come along and see him. That's strange. That's even stranger than the story I heard before. If you want to see it, here's a picture. Don't look too close, because if you look in the eyes, they may steal your soul. I'm not so sure you want to do that. that. That is a true, that is true. So there's a box with this guy in it in the University, of Col University College of London. That's, a, that's true and not a myth. They were going to try, as the truth is, they're going to try to preserve his head, and it went terribly wrong. And so what we have here is a wax representation of his face. It is the auto icon of Jeremy Bentham. Now, none of us are going to look at that and say, man, that part skeleton, part hay, part wax is a real person. We can tell the difference between someone who is alive and someone who is dead. Someone who is al who alive has animation and, and looks the part. Jeremy Bentham in that auto icon looks dead. We can tell the difference. Now, if James were to speak up at this point, he would say, not so fast. You might be confusing real faith 
and dead faith. You might be confusing something that's dead for something that's real. And that's what James wants us to see in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. We don't want to be a people who confuse real faith in Christ with dead faith in Christ. Genuine Christians are going to have certain life characteristics, certain entailments to their lives. James is going to guide us in that exploration today. Authentic faith is made clear by the life we live. Authentic faith is made clear by the life we live. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to let James help us see what faith that is alive looks like and what faith that is dead, like Bentham, looks like. So we're going to read beginning beginning in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Let's pray. Lord, I can't wait till we as a church can gather and celebrate together your resurrection, the fact that you speak to us through your word. I can't wait and I pray that this gathering, this remote virtual gathering, would whet our appetites for the time that we can gather together soon, and we do pray that it's soon. I also pray that you would help us to get a benefit out of this teaching today. Help us to see the difference between dead and alive faith. Amen. Authentic faith is made clear by the life we live. So we're going to define faith, and then we're going to see two brands or two kinds of false faith faith. First, defining faith. Verse 14 says very clearly, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, faith without works or workless faith, can that faith save him? Do you see what he's asking? He's asking, he's saying, is the kind of faith without works real faith? Now that might sound confusing, especially if you've been a Christian and have been around our church for a while. You've heard that salvation in Christ is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. Salvation is indeed by faith alone. So when James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, is he saying that salvation is not by faith alone? Is he asking that question? No. We know, based on the other portions of Scripture, that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Yes, salvation, that's that's what we know. James is not questioning whether salvation is by faith alone. He is asking us to examine the, the kind of faith we have to see if it's genuine. James is asking us to consider if our faith is real. Or to put it another way, he's telling us how, not how to be saved, but he's asking, are you saved? He's taken the word of God. We've already seen that there's this mirror aspect to the word of God. And he's holding it up so that we can look into the mirror and ask, what's my faith like? 
not how do I get saved? So how can we tell if someone has genuine faith? Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer there is no, it can't. Because that kind of faith is not real faith. It makes perfect sense. When you come in contact with Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, you are not going to say the same. Authentic faith in Christ changes your mindset, your way of living, your very life. God works alone and brings you to salvation in Christ. Salvation is not by good works, but by faith in Christ. But those who are saved and trust in Jesus, they will have a life marked by good works. Do you see the difference? Salvation is not by good works, but those who are saved will always do good works. Now, this is very important for us to understand. So many people populate churches, and they don't understand this distinction. Jesus never directs us to clean ourselves up or make sure that we are, are trying to obey better so that we might be able to be worthy to be saved. No, he calls all sinners to come. He says, if you're to the vile, come. To the profane, come. To the promiscuous, come. To the greedy, come. To the selfish, come. To the self-righteous, come. And what does he ask? He just asks that you come and ask for forgiveness. And he is the only person who can do that and give you new life. To be saved, we go to Jesus. That's it. See, what James is doing is he's picking up the conversation there and saying something like this. Do the vile stay vile if they have real faith? No. Do the profane stay profane if they have real faith? No. Do the promiscuous stay promiscuous if they have real faith? No. Do the greedy stay greedy if they have real faith? No. Do the selfish stay selfish if they have real faith? No. Do the self-righteous stay self-righteous if they have real faith? No. See, what James is doing is he's showing us what authentic faith in Christ looks like. And real faith, unlike Jeremy Bentham, is never dead. Real faith, unlike Jeremy Bentham, is never dead. See, we're saved by faith alone, Philip Melanchthon said, but not a faith that remains alone. So, that's defining faith. What does false faith look like? False faith looks look like. There's two examples in verses 15 through 19. First is a workless faith. It's a faith devoid of obedience. You can see this in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? See, another Bentham kind of faith is a faith that doesn't lead to any kind of self-sacrifice or any kind of service in your church community. We know that he's thinking of the church community first because he uses the phrase brother or sister. So a workless faith looks like this. When you see a brother or sister in serious need, lacking the basics, we're talking food, we're talking clothing, we're talking shelter, we're talking water, and you say, hey, have a great day. Hope you're doing well. Are your words doing any good? And the answer there is no. Empty words are of no help to those with empty stomachs. And if you say be warm and well-fed and do nothing to help them, either 
get clothes to be warm, or food to be fed, you're doing workless faith. What good is that, James says? So also, he says in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a Bentham kind of faith. In other words, your faith is as empty and as dead as your words to people in need. That's what he's saying. If you say to someone who has serious need, peace be with you, or be warm and well fed, those empty words, as empty as those words are to that person in serious need, that's how empty your faith is. Those and you, you, there, those of you, those of us that live a life of workless faith, we ought not consider ourselves Christian. Authentic faith in Christ is evidenced by offering aid to those who need it, offering self-sacrifice. And this is one of the things I'm so proud of, you as a church. I've seen you feed shut-ins and reach out and send money to help those who need money. What thrills me the most is it's not my idea. It's not something I organized. It's not something that was some big mastermind. It's you. I am proud to be associated with you. This pandemic is the perfect opportunity to help people in our church community, and you have done that. Now, none of us are going to be flawless in the way we can help, but that doesn't mean we ought not to do what we can. And so... We all have the chance now in this quarantine to consider, am I one that helps those in my church community who have serious need? Or is my faith a workless faith? That's the first kind of false faith. The second kind of false faith is demonic faith. Demonic faith, and you can see this in verse 18. But someone will say, you have, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe, verse 19, that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is sobering. This is sobering. This is one of the most sobering sections in the Bible. Because You see what he's saying here? He's saying you can say all the right words about God, believe all the right things about God, and be no better off than the demonic horde. You see, it might be something like this. You say, James says, that you believe that there is no one, no, there is no other God. Good, the demons do too. You say you believe Jesus is the true and only Son of God. So do the demons. You believe Jesus is enthroned. Good, the demons do too. You believe that Jesus died for sinners. So do the demons. You believe that God is three and God is one. So do the demons. You see, the demons have been to the best divinity school in the universe. They lived with God in his presence and his host before turning their backs on him. Believing rightly or saying the right thing is not enough. Demons believe rightly, but that does not impact their eternal destiny. Theirs is a dead faith. Theirs is a dead faith. They respect God, They do not obey him. You might say, well, I'm not one for theology. I'm one for experience. 
I've had experiences with God in the past that prove that I'm okay. Well, James says, that's just like the demons. Even the demons believe, and what's their experience? They shudder. They shudder at who God is. They shudder at His presence. Spiritual experiences alone are no ground for salvation. You see, you might say, I've prayed a prayer, and I'm okay. No, not necessarily. You might say, I've prayed, and someone was healed. That experience doesn't qualify you to be a Christian. Even the demons shudder. You might say, well, I felt the presence of God before. Well, in the presence of God, demons shudder. You might say, I've been baptized. Well, great, the demons shudder. You might say, I've prayed a lot to God. Well, great, the demons shudder. Do you see? <coughs> the demons believe the right things, but they don't serve God. There are two kinds of pseudo-faiths here verses 14 through 19. A faith that does not press someone into action and a faith that believes the right things or has mental assent to the right things, but it doesn't impact their lives. So do you have a workless faith or a demonic faith? You see, authentic faith in Christ is going to be made clear by how you live. By how you live. How are you living? Now, James, in speaking to us, in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, he speaks to the two kind of people there are in the world. Christians and non-Christians. There's nobody who rides the middle. There's a, you're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian. We're going to address the non-Christians first. What you need to understand is that you might know a lot about God. You might have had past spiritual experiences with God. But if your life does not reflect that God is the king of your life, you should have no confidence that you're a believer in Jesus. Even if you had, even if you had moments to where you felt his presence. So some signs that you might have a faith that is more like Jeremy Bentham than, Jesus, than a faith born from Jesus Christ, here's some questions to ask yourself. Do you have a workless faith? Is there any way that you sacrifice for people who have needs, any at all, outside of family? Or are you constantly aware of what people think of you and what people perceive you to be? Or do you brood over the slights you've received from others? Can you describe who Jesus is with perfect detail or even good detail, but yet not describe how he's changed your life? Not describe the kind of things you've repented of and changed, the kind of things you've trusted in him with. You can describe who Jesus is, but does he direct who you sleep with and how you spend your money and how you treat those in need? Does he direct your speech and your action? Or are you like the demons with a respect for God, but not an obedience of God? If you're, a, if you're not a Christian, listen, the best thing for you to do today is realize that. And come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and help. He will give it. He will not turn you away. He is eager 
to forgive you of your sin. Christians, here's what we need to recognize in reading a passage like this. This is sobering. This is tough. And all of us have deadness in our lives that we need to cut out. We all do. But that doesn't mean we're like Jeremy Bentham. If you feel that, that's conviction. Conviction is those may be some specific things in your life where you realize, ah, I, need to, I need to take that to the Lord. I need to, to change that. I need help. I need God's help to help me here and here and here. That's conviction. Condemnation says something like, you're a total loser. You're a failure, and God is completely disappointed. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is from the evil one. Conviction brings hope. Condemnation brings despair. If you're convicted, go to your Savior and ask for help. Ask for forgiveness. He is gracious. He is kind. Remember, He is the only one, the only one who ever put all of His trust in God the Father. He is the only one who always spoke the truth and always spoke words that were consistent with his life. He is the only one who lived a consistent life like that. So our goal is not, is not to be perfect because we cannot be perfect. Our goal is to trust Christ where we fall short and recognize that he can forgive us where we see those parts of our lives that have deadness to cut out. If you're a Christian, you're going to want to please Him. You're going to want to trust Him. You're going to want to move to Him. And Jesus always, always welcomes you. Think about it this way. Jesus says, come to me. And as you go to Him and ask for forgiveness, not only will He forgive you, He will empower you. Not only will He empower you, He will give you the opportunity to put legs to your faith so that it's workless no more. So that you don't have the kind of faith that's like demons, but you have the kind of faith that typifies your very life. He will empower you to be able to do that. And so as we end, maybe with the folks you're with in your room right now, wherever that is, talk about what kind of things you're convicted of. And the way in which the Lord, you're looking for the Lord to help you. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that we can open your word, even at a distance here, and I ask that you would bless your people through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be a people that are, that are okay with deadness in our lives. I pray that we would cut that out. I also pray that we would not be, that, that any who are, are watching and listening who are not believers, Lord, I pray that you would help them to recognize that they need to trust you to be alive. Otherwise, they're just like an auto icon that is, doesn't even really have life and doesn't even really look like anything. And so, Lord, I pray that, that any who are hearing my voice that are not saved, I pray that you would work in their lives, Lord Jesus, and bring them to you. To your name we pray. Amen.